Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to me to go over everything. Can I start off with a quick story that'll lead into our entire conversation today? Probably. Is it a really sad story? Because yes, yeah, the only way possible. I, I, te- I texted you this earlier, but it's worth sharing. I was at the gym this afternoon. You can't make this up. Like I literally thought someone was playing a joke on me. I look over mid-workout. I see a Wilson number two Jets jersey on some kid on the other side of it. I literally had to get up and walk over because I didn't believe what I was seeing. But then it made sense because that's just divine intervention proof that sometimes God really just does hate us as, as Cleveland fans. Obviously, taking pictures at the gym is very much frowned upon uh, of anyone. But the fact that this kid is wearing a New York Jets Garrett Wilson number two jersey next to me at the gym is the least surprising but just most angering thing that's happened in a long time. That's my story. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast. You got Kevin. And Raleigh. I thought I'd feel better after 48 hours. I still feel like ass. Actually... If you were to tell me, say, two years ago, three years ago, last year, what would unfold in that game on Sunday, if you were to explain that play-by-play to me, I feel like I would be depressed for a week. But it was so comical, dude. It In, in my heart of hearts, I believe it took a lot of the sting off. Like, that was a... That was just reset the definition of what a monumental collapse Worst loss since they came back in 99. One of the worst losses in history, according to statistics. Worst loss in 20 years. And guess who was the last team to do it? The Browns. Sure was. (laughs) I got to confess to people. So for for those of you uh, trying to follow along, there was a stat that said teams that win or that were up with under two minutes up by – two scores or 13 points, whatever it was, had won 2,200 straight games. 2,200 straight games. The last team to screw that up, aside from this past Sunday, was the Browns in 2001. So another it's Browns. Per- it's step. perfect. It's perfect. Uh, I got to confess to folks and ask for forgiveness. I shouldn't have done this, but then again, when there's 155 left on the clock and you're up 13, you think you're safe. I texted my one of my Cleveland group texts two and zero, and they all texted back. They go, "I think you just fucked us." And I said, "There's no way, absolutely not." Uh, we were at the up at a bar with some Cleveland folks watching it here in Chicago. I looked over my hand to God. Carol can my friend Carol can back me up. I said, "Thank God it's over. We're up thirteen, but." We are the only franchise out of the 32 who technically can't actually celebrate this till 0 on the clock. Yep. I, you you were not alone in that. I jinxed it, but even though we we're – I was like, we, we still can't, uh, unfortunately. And now that's going to now be true the rest of our lives because we've seen the absolute worst case scenario. Uh, sure, I'll even put a knock on wood on that. Yeah. So I confess, I, I jinxed I, – I had a part in the jinx. Um, the last thing I want to say before wait the TV to talk about the TV crew because they did the same thing. Were you following that? Could you we hear it at the bar? We didn't get sound. Um, okay, the Browns game at a, a non-Cleveland bar is very far down on the totem pole. Uh, I don't know if you knew this. The TV announcers, I don't know 
who the hell those guys were, like the C list squad. They started showing. They started. <laughs> the yeah. yeah, they started showing a montage of like the last time the Browns were two and zero, and they showed nineteen ninety three. Jurassic Park was just released, and like all of these things. And they at were the five years old at the time, I was like okay with it because I'm like, yeah, they are two and zero. It is actually safe for you to play this. My buddy had done the same thing in person, where he's like, they did it. They can't lose it from here. And then the spiral just started hitting, and I was like, what has everyone done? My guard wasn't up, but, yeah, they just made it very, very clear that that lesson of any pre-celebration when there's time on the clock, you just can't do it. I've never been more thankful and happy of our accidental strategy that we've just been doing for four seasons now of waiting to release the podcast Wednesdays or Thursdays to let – the hot takes and everything just simmer down as much as possible till we get here. Um, I, we're not, I don't know how much time you want to spend talking about this game. By the time this podcast comes out, it's if you're listening to this day, it comes out, it's Wednesday, September 21st. We have a game against the Steelers tomorrow night, Thursday night football. I will be there. Very excited. Can't wait. But we do need to talk about this loss. Um, first thing I want to say, we are not blaming Nicholas Jamal Chubb for anything. He tried taking blame for it in his press conference today. Look, revisionist history, you can sit there and go back and all these, you know, couch quarterbacks and couch GMs want to go back and be like, oh, you should have fallen down. Uh, no. Sorry. Who, what, who, there's no one on planet Earth who would think with 155 left, you're going to blow a 13-point lead. So we should have gone out at the one because this might happen. We might miss the extra kick. We might muff or screw up an onside kick. You know, We might blow coverage and have them get these wide-open looks. Chubb did nothing wrong in the moment. You can look back. Hindsight's 20-20 all you want. He is the absolute last person I would ever put blame on. I'm not subtweeting anyone. I'm not calling anyone out. I'm just saying, in general, Browns Nation, we are not putting an ounce of blame on that man. And, and it, there's also like the parallel universe concept of what could have happened that would have made this objectively worse. Let's say that he last second realizes he needs to go down and stops running, changes directions quickly. That's how you tear an ACL. You know what I mean? And I just feel Glass like it's not, full. that's what it, we do here, baby. I feel like it's not practical to tell, like to coach a running back to not try to be the alpha male and just score. And it's like, really, you're going to critique the guy that put up three touchdowns in any way. I will, I will say uh, Kareem Hunt, that drive was crushing it. Critique which I'm, I'm not even critiquing him because he knew he was doing it as he was, he was eating. doing it. He was eating. He was eating, and two of the plays he ran out of bounds. The second one, he was, like, hitting himself like that was a failure. But I'm also, like, as you watch the run, it's like it's not like he just lazily caught it on, like, two yards from being out of bounds and then decided to go out of bounds. Like, he was running full speed, too, and got knocked out of bounds. He tried to stay in. It's not always easy. And – they knew what the offense, they put up 31 points and they looked fantastic doing offense. It. Hey, hat off. Jacoby did everything he could. I hope he can. I hope he can build on that. dude. And he, credit, I'll give credit to his fans on the offensive side. He called a good game. He molded that offense around Jacoby. They looked great. 
we got to figure this. We got to figure the rest of the shit out, and it's got to be real quick because there's not enough time in between games with the short week. And again, I'm not. We're not even doing the if. I don't want to go there unless we absolutely have to. If Thursday night does not go well, it's going to be a very, very, very long ten days uh, in between games here. Do you want to hear a uh, Stefanski themed hot take? That yeah, I never thought I would say. He did call a very good game. But holy shit, now more than ever, I think it's apparent that he needs to give up play calling. One, I don't think that his play calling was a stroke of genius. I think there's other guys in that organization, Van Pelt, that could do the same thing. Let's say Stefanski called an A game. I think you can rely on Van Pelt for calling a B game. I'm not even, maybe Van Pelt could call a better game. I'm not sure, but who's ever calling the plays should be thinking about making adjustments on offense nonstop. That should be all they're thinking about. And then during the game, that should be all they're thinking about. Stefanski is the head coach. He is the CEO. And right now you have other departments that are on fire. Like how that implosion on defense, dude, he looked just as shocked as the rest of us. And it's like the rest of us are just watching. Most people are watching, you know, once a week. You have to set up a system where you are constantly evaluating, self-diagnosing where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are, what you can do to improve, and do that continually. Like if if Joe Woods is the problem, it could be Joe Woods is trying to implement schemes that these guys aren't getting because they're young. It could be they're good schemes, but the players aren't getting it for whatever reason. They could be bad schemes. I don't know, but somebody should be constantly monitoring that how it's implemented in practice how it's implemented in game time while somebody else is calling the plays because Stefanski is the only person with the ability to fix this monitor where there's lack of chemistry is make up a thing that's wrong and fix it trust your personnel and do your job god if he says i got to do better one more time and calls plays i'm going to lose it which it's going to happen but that was a pretty concise rant. That was great. I thought you, you nailed it right there. So I'm not going to get into the blame game. Obviously, the, the easiest 100,000-foot look down at the situation explanation is blown coverage, no shit. Um, and that's two weeks in a row. And it was to Joe Flacco as well. <laughs> now, Grant, I, I will credit where due. I mean, a Super Bowl MVP. Like, the dude has seen every defense in the world. He was picking our DBs apart. Uh, more than just that last drive. Um, I will say uh, Tyvis Powell, who hosts a podcast with our friend Holly, who's been on this podcast before uh, on Twitter. He's at the number one and then Tyvis. He is a former defensive back uh, at Ohio State and the league. He really goes in full depth and breaks down what the hell happened on that last drive. And he knows football. I do not. Um, I highly recommend you going there if you want to, you know, understand really what happened there from an X and O standpoint. Um, again, I'm not playing the blame game. You know, you look at the, the Grant Delpit, uh, you know, the press conferences with Denzel Ward. Um, I, I don't even want to talk about those. I, I don't care about those. I, I will say this. I really do think one that this is going to fire this team up. I don't think it's going to, you know, get them down and make them feel any kind of, you know, de defeated sense. I think it's going to really get them up for Thursday night, especially you know, the home game, especially a division game against the Steelers. I am now firmly in the camp. Last year, I was firmly on the other side of it. And I, 
I, I think Svansky called a great game, right? I have a lot of trust in Van Pelt calling plays as well. Because um, now Stefanski, his ass is on the line now. He now has to pay a lot more attention to the defense, whether he likes it or not, because he needs to see what's going on because th- this can't keep happening. That's two games in a row, never seen anything like it. So because he has to keep his mind on, and eyes on so many different things at once, I think it would be better if he was just the CEO of the sideline, right? Now, people understand, he's got that headset on, right? Yeah, Van Pelt will be call a play. Woods will call a play. Head coach has the power to override any of that via that headset, right? It's not like he's just going to sit there and watch the game, you know? Something has to change. I don't know what it is because I'm not a football coach and I never played in the NFL, surprisingly. Something has to change, and I, it, I think something that is not – too big. You can't do anything crazy stupid but when you have a few days in between games. But I think something as simple as just giving up the play calling and being the CEO of that whole sideline could do it. Why not? Just try it. Let's see what happens. So kind of more building on that theory. First off, I don't like when people make just outward complaints with no solution, I guess. That's just kind of like a rule of thumb or whatever. But I've been kind of breaking this down into thinking about myself or people in general, when you go to work and you're doing whatever job and you don't like your job and you're just thinking about it nonstop. And then let's say that work follows you home. It makes it difficult to do the rest of the shit that you're trying to accomplish in life. Say you wanted to go to the gym, say you wanted to be a good partner, say you wanted to be a good mother, father, whatever. He is adding a mental bandwidth or a mental burden that has to be taking up a large percentage of his mindset. It's not just the in-game play calling, but it's also him thinking about it during practice. How can I call plays better? How can I call plays better? You know, he has to be missing things. And there's no way that he's just a super one. He's not like a savant that never makes mistakes on calling games, but it's like, Nobody is. So set yourself up for a system that can continually improve upon itself. And he, like I said, is the only person with that much proximity that also has the authority to make a move, whether that's overriding somebody. Joe Woods is probably the problem. If there's other guys that are the problem, somebody has to point it out because nobody else is, and he's the only one that can do it. I feel like I'm repetitive, but holy shit, that's been on my chest. Feels good to get that shit off, though. Miles, I, I'm i riding with you till the wheels fall off. I hope they don't, but ride or die with Miles. Love you, man. That is, I don't I can't think of another time, or oh, there's probably times, I just can't think off the top of my head, where that booing was warranted. It, it 155. Was. People were already left to go to their cars and go back to the lot to, to drink more because there's like there's there's less than two minutes. We're up 13 points. It's almost literally it was 99.9 percent and the on the app on my Yahoo Sports app opened up 99.9. That's why I texted my buddies two and all. I'm like, there's we are in the clear now. There's no way. That's why people were booing because that is such an absurd ending and just. It just that stuff just should not happen ever, ever. It, it, it is a slippery slope, though. Like, yeah, was it a warranted booing? Absolutely, but I just feel like the boos have been more frequent, and it's hard to 
it's not like he just had an analytical person pressing the boo bert the boo button if you will there's going to be a floodgate of booing that i fear knock on wood hope it doesn't happen no and i think the last thing that you want is players to feel like the fans are against him i, I think he said that out of I mean, he was just as hurt as everyone else in that stadium. It sucked, but who knows what's going on in your head. I feel bad for players having to go to a press conference right after something in-game tragic happens, and you can just be judged on it where it's like, you know, me and you, if we say something stupid, we edit it, and he's saying it to an open mic, and, like, that's what was No, totally, totally. Right off the cuff, and I understand that a thousand percent, and I – Again, you're caught up in the emotions. I get it. I, I'm not mad at him for saying it. I'm not mad at people that were booing. And it wasn't, we're not just booing Miles in the defense. We're booing mostly the coaches and just the organization for once again putting us through a miserable hell of an ending. We're booing our grandparents, really. That too. Yeah. My great grand, well, great grandparents, because they had to settle in Cleveland and then that lineage started. And now here we are on a goddamn podcast talking about this godforsaken team. Hey, let's get up, though. Steelers are coming to town Thursday night, tomorrow night, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Do you have anything else you want to say about the Jets? I feel like everyone's gotten their thoughts out. It's it, we Thank God this is a short week. I could not do this for any more days. Yeah, I, I, I'm just so confused, Kevin. Hopefully Dave Bryan of the Steelers Depot will – give guidance to us great segue great segue let's uh we're gonna get into our interview here for those uh long-time listeners first-time listeners dave bryan of steelersdepot.com the number one Steelers site it has more info about the Steelers and every team in the nfl than most sites on the internet i've said it for years the guy knows more about the Steelers than the rooney family and mike tomlin combined uh he also is a host of the terrible podcast let's get into that here we go Ladies and gentlemen, we now welcome on a very special guest, a recurring guest. Actually, he might now be the most frequent visitor we have in this podcast. Mr. Dave Bryan, who runs SteelersDepot.com. You can find him on Twitter, SteelersDepot. I have been saying this for years. It's his fourth season coming on to help us break down the Steelers game. This guy knows more about the Steelers than the Rooney family and Mike Tomlin combined. I'll argue anyone. Great website. They do stuff year-round with the draft, with the Steelers. Sir, thank you for joining us, as always. Guys, Kevin, Raleigh, thanks for having me on. Uh, good to be back with you here, uh, week three of the NFL. What a, And we were just talking about this. What a strange weekend for the entire division. Yeah, I, I'm trying to recall the last time. All I, I, Obviously, it has happened in recent time. I haven't uh, spent time researching it, but uh, I, I mean, it's rare that you see all four teams in the AFC North lose in the same uh, in the same week there. And that obviously happened in, you know, uh, in kind of uh, outside of, you know, the Steelers game really wasn't dramatic in the ending there. I mean, they let the Patriots eat off the last six 33 of the clock there to, to, to kill it out. So there really wasn't much drama involved in that. But I mean, the other three games, you know, the Bengals and, and of course the Browns and, mm. and the Ravens just all came down to, you know, last second type, uh, endings there and with uh, all three AFC North uh, teams uh, on, on the wrong end of it there. So kind of a, kind of a weird AFC North, uh, you know, situation shaping up here as we go into week three and obviously a divisional game, 
with the Steelers and the Browns, I mean, this is a big one for both teams because, uh, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, if, if a team's going to come out there and make the playoffs or win the division, it's probably going to come from having a good divisional record. The real season for us starts Thursday night for the Browns, right? We're getting into the division. We can put these last two games far behind us. Dave, we were talking about this before we got on. This has been maybe the most turnover, correct me if I'm wrong, that we've ever seen in the Steelers organization. I should Turnover is the wrong word. A lot of people retired, right? The GM retired. Big Ben, after being quarterback since 1977, retired. <laughs> you guys have a new offensive coordinator in Mr. Canada. What were expectations coming into this season with Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback with Matt Canada now running the offense? Uh and what, how has the, the expectations changed after a very weird two weeks for you guys as well? Yeah, for starters, look, this this isn't Canada's first year as OC. He was the OC last year as, as well, too. So you know what? You know uh, what? That's my fault. I just this is I just have been seeing his name in the headlines so much the last right. couple of weeks. That, uh, yeah, that's all, on me. That's all on negative, me. all negative uh, yeah. as, as well, too. But yeah, look, Omar Khan, uh, who obviously has been their cap guru uh, for eons, uh, has now taken over for Kevin Colbert, uh, and Kevin Colbert was the uh, you know the general manager dating back all the way back to two thousand. And as you hit on uh, uh, first season without Ben Roethlisberger, uh, who had uh, was originally drafted in 2004, uh, you know, it, it, it really starts starts there overall new offensive line coach uh, as well uh, in this organization. So there it, there has been obviously a lot of uh, change. You got Brian Flores coming in. Uh, uh, to help out, you know, on on the defensive side of football, Keith Butler's gone uh, as defensive coordinator, and Terrell Austin got promoted uh, to that job there. So yeah, there are a lot of changes that took place uh, overall uh, uh, within this organization. They've they've shook up, uh, uh, you know, got a new assistant GM and Andy Weidel who comes over from from the Eagles. A uh, couple of you know scouts have been. You know, shaking up a little bit in there as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a new era. And then, yeah, drafting a quarterback in the first round for the first time since 2004 in, uh, in obviously, Kenny Pickett. So, a lot of changes. And as far as, you know, you saying about what the expectations, what my expectations were for this team uh, ahead of the season, uh, I got to be honest with you. And, you know, look, you know, uh, fan bases expect, independent people like me and, and media people to be all raw, raw. And, you know, Oh, I can't believe you don't have them winning the super bowl this year. Uh, you guys know me over the years. I, I shoot straight with, with, with what I think. And I think that's kind of what has helped us be so successful over the years on the site. I had them as nine and eight, uh, ahead of this season. Uh, I had a feeling that the offense was going to struggle, uh, in finding their footing. Uh, obviously Mitch Trubisky coming in, you could sort of see a move similar to that happening. They scouted the quarterbacks heavily during the pre-draft process, so you kind of had a pretty good inkling that they, if they had one that they liked in the first round, they were going to take one there. But in the meantime, you know, there have been a lot had been a lot of reports. Jay Glazier, in in particular, saying. Mike Tomlin doesn't like to start rookie quarterbacks. So, and obviously ahead of draft, your free agency happens before that. So you have to make plans as if you're not going to get a guy that you think you like, 
you know, at a quarterback position at any point uh, during the draft, let alone the first round. And and when you started to read the tea leaves early, it, it signs Mitch Trubisky was kind of one of the guys that that that. I think you had to circle as a potential guy they would sign. Uh, I remember all the media, you know, major media people saying, oh, he's going to command a $20 million price tag. And I, you know, you know me and my cap history. I, I researched that stuff. And I, there's no mm-hmm. way they're going to pay that guy $20 million uh, a year. And they didn't. Uh, now, within that, though, you're talking about Mitch, uh, the same Mitch Trubisky that uh, I think through all of what eight or nine passes as a member of the Buffalo Bills in 2021. So you didn't have, you know, you, really only tape that you had on Mitch Trubisky from 2021 was his preseason. And we know, you know, that, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just kind of thought that he was going to be a seat holder, if you will, uh, until whoever they wound up drafting uh, was, was, was ready to go. And, that's basically where we are right now. I mean, the offensive line got kind of retooled during uh, the offseason. They signed James Daniels to a, a decent size contract to play right guard. Uh, they re-signed Chiquamo Corford for around $10 million a year. They signed Mason Cole, uh, uh, formerly all the Vikings, to come in and play center for them. And then, you know, they obviously still had uh, uh, Dan Moore, uh, former, for, uh, former, what, third or fourth round draft, fourth round draft pick uh, over there at left tackle. And then there was a battle going into camp between Kevin Dotson and Kendrick Green, which uh, Kevin Dotson uh, wound up winning almost by default, if you will. But uh, ahead of the season, you know, you thought that the defense had the opportunity to be pretty good this year. And my, my thoughts on this were if the Steelers are going to win games in 2022, it will be because their defense plays lights out and they occasionally get some good production from uh, enough production from the offense and special teams and that they were pretty much going to have to be dead solid perfect on the defensive side of the ball and special teams. And here we are two weeks in the season. They are one and one their first week uh, game against the Bengals, you know, a blocked extra point. Uh, was really the difference in, in, in that one, along with the Bengals having their long snapper get hurt and playing a big, big part in that game as well, too. So, I mean, if you want to look at this half as a half empty type situation, glass half empty situation, they are a blocked extra point away from being zero and two and the fans really screaming and don't, don't get me wrong. They're screaming right now because this offense has had problems, not only scoring points, but moving to football. I, I kind of have issues with that. Hi, Dave. Um, in that you guys went from Ben Roethlisberger since 2004. You may have hit on Kenny Pickett, and I think Tomlin is just in his theory of not starting a rookie quarterback, particularly when you don't have to. It's like, how can you not look at this as a small rebuilding year after what, 16 years of greatness? And also, do you think that you may have hit on Kenny Pickett? Most people have no idea because they don't watch Steelers practice footage. But what are your thoughts with him? Well, and is a- it just because is it just because the whole he went to Pitt thing? That's all I want to add on to his questions. I want to ask the same thing. Uh, is it only did they draft him only because he went to Pitt? No, no but but is that is that was there ever actually a competition in camp between him and Mitch? 
No, and, no, and, no, no, not even though Mike Tomlin tried to frame that thing right at, right out of the shoot as uh, this is going to be a competition between Mitch Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, and Mason, and, yeah. and and Kenny Pickett. Uh, <laughs> we we sat on our own podcast, right? You know, that's not the way that this is going to go. Uh, and and it didn't. Uh, you not you didn't bring Mitch Trubisky in off the street at whatever it was seven million dollars base average uh, salary per year. Uh, to to come in and lose a quarterback battle, and and for the team to turn around and start, you know, uh, Kenny Pickett out of the shoot. Now, uh, to to Raleigh's kind of question there, uh, what how how'd you phrase that, Raleigh? Um, well, first I complain about the Steelers fans for being upset with a down year, but disregard. Oh, that. oh, do you think that you guys may have hit on Pickett? I don't want you to. I mean, I would love if you jinxed it, but do you have any criticisms with it? Do you think that was the move? And how's he been developing? What's the word on the street? Well, here's the thing. I, I think both of you would agree. I don't, you know, I don't know how much uh, uh, study you, you did in the quarterbacks maybe during the offseason. But, I mean, by and large, Kenny Pickett was the most NFL-ready of this year's class. Now, this year's class... <laughs> you know, on on paper, you only had one drafted in the first round, right? And then you're waiting quite a while for the second one uh, to to get drafted at that point. Uh, they liked his accuracy overall. They liked his experience. I don't know if you guys have ever revisited the seven rules that Bill Parcells have had uh, years ago when it comes to drafting a quarterback. They're kind of outdated now because of all these underclassmen and all. And it goes off of wins and accuracy and 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 did he graduate? It's it's it's, it's very interesting to go back and read the Bill Parcells seven rules of drafting a quarterback. Is and that he, where the hand size thing started? No, 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 no. Because hand okay. size doesn't play into any in, any of that uh, okay. uh, there. But uh, go research that when you get it, or, and you, and your listeners as well too. Uh, it's, it's quite an interesting theory that Bill Parcells had years ago. But they liked his accuracy first and foremost. They liked his experience. They obviously knew all about Kenny Pickett from all the time that he spent in the building there at the University of Pittsburgh. And really, Raleigh, to to answer your question, uh, did they hit on him? Do you I'm think a, they hit on him? Do you right. Think? Right. Did he check enough boxes? For instance, on that list of uh, the list of seven, make this number eight. This is a Raleigh. It may be a Raleigh Davis classic. It may not be. Somebody else may have come up with it. But I'm a big believer in evaluating quarterbacks that, while they were in college, played at a college that traditionally struggled. Ben Roethlisberger made Miami of Ohio, my alma mater, relevant. Josh Allen made Wyoming relevant. I think that speaks more volumes than somebody that set a touchdown record at Ohio State, for example. I'm going to give you a an answer that's not going to be, you know, here I am you know, expected to have all these proclamations here. We all know that the quarterback position is one of the hardest ones to judge, period. Oh, oh, yeah. You're out. oh yeah! Oh yeah! Uh, Who are you talking to? <laughs> Come to the right podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean, you guys know, right? Yeah, you, you, all these first round. I mean, you don't know until they play. You just don't know until they play. And my theory on this uh, over the years and covering the NFL as long as I have and following the draft is I don't think you really know what you have at quarterback until you see that quarterback play about twenty starts. Really. I mean, because how many times have we seen these That's kids fair. come come into the NFL, 
light it up for a couple of games, maybe at the tail end of the season. They get into the second season. Uh, defensive coordinators start seeing what they do well, what they don't do well, what they what they can handle, what they can't handle. Then, then the more intricate scheming against them starts happening, and then you see the kid fall off the fall off the ledge at that point. So, I will say this about Kenny Pickett. Now, you know my my partner on Steelers Depot, Alex Kazor. I'm sure you guys are familiar with with kind of his work on Twitter and the site and all like that. He goes to every training camp practice and has for years, and he charts everything there. Uh, you know, training camp throws, distances, and all like that. He really liked the progression from Kenny Pickett from day one to the end of in, end of training camp. There, I I obviously did not watch. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm out here in Vegas. I don't go to training camp practices, so all I got to see with Kenny Pickett outside of his college film, of course, and watched every game of that. But uh, in the three preseason games that Kenny Pickett played in, sixty something snaps, I think, in total, you saw an obvious progression there from snap one. To the last snap. Now it's not a lot of snaps, and it is preseason. It's vanilla defenses, but at no time was the moment too big for him. He made some really good throws in those situations. Uh, the only thing that we really didn't get to see out of Kenny Pickett, which is a concern of mine, is can he can he push the football down the field? Can he throw the football down the field? Because let's face it, in today's NFL. And it's been this way for a while. It's all about explosive plays of 20 yards or more and turnover differential. That's it. If you can put up two more combined explosive plays or turnovers than your opponent in every game, you're going to win 80% of the ball games. And explosive plays normally come through the air, and the explosive plays normally come on passes of more than 16 yards down the football field. My only question with Kenny Pickett really exiting the preseason is, is he a guy that's going to be able to stretch the field vertically? Okay. Because he had to me a little bit of arm strength issues overall while at Pitt. He obviously won. in despite of that, uh, did, you know, did what had, had a very nice completion percentage overall. That's one of the things that Kevin Colbert made sure to highlight quite a bit during at right after they drafted, uh, Kenny Pickett was accuracy, accuracy, accuracy. And if you don't have accuracy in the NFL, you're not going to go very far at all. But he does have that. So the short answer to your question is I don't know if they may, I don't know if they hit on him or not. And I'm not going to be able to give you a good uh, analysis uh, of, of whether or not he'll make it or not until we get at least a good 16 starts into his career. Well, whatever my, say whatever, whatever, my, whatever my question was, you couldn't have answered it better. I think that was a phenomenal analysis for a guy that has taken a snap in game. And I'm just going to go say what everyone is thinking on our side. He's Our luck is, is as it is. He'll probably be an all-pro quarterback at some point. We know that, Browns fans. We just we, yeah. we do. Um, Dave, I wanted to flip over. Actually, um, not flip over to defense yet. One more offensive question before I have some defensive ones. This has been in the headlines. I his second year. We're right this time. There's an article on your website today. The Matt Canada offense is very, very boring. Was the title? It seems like were people this kind of weary about him last season, and what's going on with uh, with Canada here? 
Uh, you got the, you know, you got a very limited playbook at this point, and Alex Kazor did a phenomenal job just off of the New England uh, game alone of really drawing out that there's like nine pass plays, you know. Uh, and if you're going to be a good offensive, it's okay to have a limited playbook with a kind of a younger, uh, new team, if you will, as far as you know total plays go. However, if you're going to do that. It's wise to mix up your personnel groupings. It's wise to mix up your formations uh, out of that and make something look different to some degree every time you run it. And they're not, they're, 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 they're not doing that, uh, especially in the game against New England. Now, here we are in a short week, right? Uh, how many changes do you think take place <laughs> especially on the offensive side of football when you essentially have two practices in a week. Not many, mm-hmm. all right? So don't expect the chairs on the Titanic to get rearranged too terribly much offensively in this game. And there's also uh, another big media yelling point, if you will, this week is Mitch Trubisky not having the ability to audible uh, much of any at the line of scrimmage. So not only do you have a you know a, a really limited playbook overall here, you have a quarterback that's got his hands tied for the most part when he gets to the line of scrimmage and he sees a certain coverage, can't check out of it, doesn't have full autom- autonomy, if you will, to check out of something into another play there. And really, it's one of the things that uh, was talked about quite a bit, even with Ben Roethlisberger last year under Matt Canada there. So you already have a below average quarterback in Mitch Trubisky, who, by the way, all you guys need to do and what you're going to probably see the Browns do a lot of in this game defensively is run a lot of uh, middle of the field safety, whether it be cover one or cover three, because the Steelers Trubisky is struggling against single high middle of the field safety. He's not throwing to the middle of the field, which was a big problem the last couple of years, even with Ben Roethlisberger. It's a lot of check down type stuff. It's a lot of out routes. Uh, when he does throw deep, he hasn't had any success whatsoever. Most of the, uh, most all of the deep balls have been uh, uh, more to the numbers or outside the numbers type type situation there, and. They just can't push the football down down the field. George Pickens has six targets on the season right now, mm. uh, cu- a couple of catches, and one of them came late in the late in the first half against the Patriots when the Patriots were playing kind of more of a prevent type thing to 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 close out the half there. So uh, there are so many layers, and look, you you can't just point the finger at Matt Canada. You just can't point the finger at at Mitch Trubisky. It's it's the whole enchilada here, guys. And then they, you know, the, even though the offensive line is playing a little bit better than what we expected them to do, they can't run the football uh, uh, with, with much success. Uh, they don't have a running back. And, I, you know, they call me Fungible Dave. And the reason they call me Fungible Dave is because I am, I think running back is a fungible position in the NFL. And I really don't think teams should spend a first round draft pick on a running back. I, you know, I just think the position is so fungible that it's a waste to, to spend an early first round or first round draft pick in, in general on that. Uh, Najee Harris, one of the knocks on him coming out of college, and there obviously weren't many is he's not an explosive runner. 
All right, go look at his 20-yard run, 20 or more yard runs uh, at the college level. You know, it's not what a lot of the other backs were there. So if you can't run the football, look, when Ben Roethlisberger, I'll tell you a quick story here. When Ben Roethlisberger came out in 2004, and you, you guys probably get a kick out of this, the original plan for Ben Roethlisberger in 2004 was him to, to sit the bench the whole season to be the number three quarterback. Uh, that was what, what the original plan, Kevin Colbert told that story time and time again. Well, and you know, you get halfway through the summer, Charlie Batch, uh, injured a knee, right? He was the backup to, to Tommy Maddox at the, at the time. So he gets injured, has to go on IR that automatically resulted in Ben going up to number two on the depth chart. You get into the second game of the season and that's when Tommy Maddox went down. Uh, with his with his elbow injury, and then that automatic that gave birth to Ben Roethlisberger, uh, who was supposed to be uh, the number three inactive quarterback all throughout his rookie season. There, so uh, this offense is struggling to move the football. This is not an offense that's built to go 13, 14 plays down the field uh, and score. The, the way this offense is going to be benefited is if they're provided the ball. Look, they had five takeaways from the Bengals, right? <laughs> you know, thank God they did. Yeah. Uh, like in the first half. It felt like it, uh, for sure. And they, this, uh, this is going to be an offense that relies a lot on field position and an offense that it's that if they're going to win, win some games and not have turnovers uh, on their side of football, uh, they're going to have to find a way to push the football down the field. And... I'm kind of doubting they're going to be able to do that. Well, when in doubt against this team, just throw a deep ball down the middle or to the side. As long as it's in bounds, good chance there's nobody within 30 yards of them. So, well, I think I think you will see. I don't expect. And once again, on, on a short week, it's so hard to prepare. Really, what both teams are right now, what you've seen on tape, I think is pretty much what you're going to get Thursday night in Cleveland. But uh, I think you will see Mitch Trubisky try to get a little bit more. He left some fill, he left some throws. There were there were probably a good three or four throws that he probably should have made deeper down the field against the Patriots. Uh, that that's about it. But I think what you're going to see is I think you're going to see him kind of you only live once type thing. And I think you're going to try to see him sling it. Probably uh, a lot of people don't realize that he threw deep eight. Eight, eight times against the Bengals in week one. And he came out of week one as, as the leader in deep throws more than 20 yards down the field. Now, he didn't complete <laughs> many of them, you know. But I think what you are going to see against the Browns is more than, you know, three or four shots down the field. It's all whether or not he can connect on them or not. And I, I, ha- I kind of have my doubts. My theory on this, guys, if the Steelers are going to win this game, they need to have at least four explosive plays of 20 yards or more in this game. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you study this offense the way we study it, it, it it's a whole hell of a lot. Well, if you studied our defense the last two weeks, it might be easier than you think. Um, speaking of defense, TJ Watt tore his peck. Am I right? Am I losing my mind? Tore's yeah, I mean it's not it's not completely tore, but it, it it is tore enough that it's it's he's obviously on IR now, and at least it's a not season ending. But he's you know he went on IR. He's got to miss at least four games. Mm-hmm. I think most of the think is thinking is that he's going to miss a total of maybe six games. Personally, 
I think he's probably going to be sidelined until after the bye week. The Steelers' bye week mm. is in week week nine. Uh, because if you come back from that thing too, even if you come back a little bit early, you know, not having the strength and probably going to have to wear a harness and all like that. I mean, he's still going to be 80% of TJ Watt still better than, you know, 100% of, of, yep. of most, most other guys around the league. Yep. But, but I mean, here's the definitive here. He's going to miss the next three games. And that's a great lead in to my question. I was going to ask TJ Watt's obviously one of the best players on the planet. He's an unstoppable force. We all know that. You guys have, besides him, you have other will, you know, future Hall of Famers back there, especially Minka Fitzpatrick, who's having an MVP caliber start to this season. I losing TJ Watt is massive, but with all those other guys the Steelers have on defense, how truly big of a blow is that to the whole defense? No sacks against the Patriots. Zero. Three quarterback hits mm. in that game in total. Uh, they they uh, they do have Alex Highsmith, who got off to a nice start against Cincinnati with three sacks uh, in that game. They traded for Malik Reed, a backup uh, uh, from the Broncos right before the season started. He's a bit undersized, though. Uh, the rest of the backups are really you know, backups, you know, Jameer Jones, and uh, they just signed a kid off uh, David and uh, Anini off the practice squad of the Titans uh, right before this game last week, but he ended up inactive there. Uh, things they manipulated the defense so much that they had one of their rookie defensive linemen that they drafted to Marvin Leal sort of play that quasi stand up outside linebacker position. You're talking about a kid that's 290 something pounds, uh, basically. You know, and a rookie to boot uh, in a fairly complicated defense, having to uh, log about six, 15, 16 snaps as, as you know, kind of a quasi, you know, part of the three, 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 uh, five, if you will. There, uh, their defense is good. Uh, they got to st- the, 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 you know, they obviously got to stop the ru- stop the run. And what happened late in that game against the Patriots is they ran it right down the throat. You know, uh, pretty much there and. Uh, the big challenge, obviously, this week is you got two backs in uh, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, and and even though the offensive line is a little banged up, it sounds like they might get Conklin back, and I don't know what's going to happen with Batonio. I would bet that Batonio winds up playing uh, in this game, but uh, you got you got a team that can run the football, you know, and I think the the Browns are going to lean heavy on running the football uh, in this game. And this will probably, and I think Cam Hayward uh, uh, and, and defensive coordinator Ter- Terrell Austin said it today. Uh, this will probably be the best running football team uh, that the Steelers play this season. So uh, against the pass, they haven't been bad. But here's the question. They struggle uh, getting pressure on Mac, Mac Jones in this game on Sunday there. Uh, the Steelers have, have lived off of, you know, ever since T.J. Watt arrived, of getting pressure with four guys. All right, and if you can get pressure with four guys in at the NFL, usually usually your Russian coverage can go hand in hand pretty good. All right, but what happens if you if you have to start manipulating uh, pressure more with more numbers? That means you obviously got to blitz a little bit more. What happens if you don't get home on the blitz a lot of times? You can get you can get ate up in that, especially with your linebackers. Uh, if you're going to run a lot of man coverage, I think what you're going to see, I think you're going to see a little bit more blitzing out of the Steelers this week, and I think you're going to see a lot more zone defense in this, and and try to uh, make Jacoby Brissett kind of pick up, be patient, and pick apart you know holes in the defense that way. I don't think you're going to see the Steelers run 
uh, a lot of cover two, even though that's what they've liked to do so far. But they've got to find a way, especially on the money downs, to get pressure on, on, on the quarterback. And it'll be interesting to see if they can. So for those of you that are new to the podcast and our old listeners alike, the reason why Dave's our perennial favorite interview is because I have so many questions written down and he just naturally answers all of them before I even ask them. <laughs> so that's why this is always my favorite interview. Um, Dave, you know, we like ending these interviews with predictions. Um, obviously, Browns Nation is a little little down in the dumps right now. Um, what are your thoughts for this Thursday night in Cleveland, our first division game of the year for the Browns? Uh, I'm not going to throw out my score prediction because I, like I was to right. Save, you guys do that on the pod. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd like to save that on our podcast, yep. uh, and that'll be tomorrow, though. But I, I will tell you this: uh, the line on this started, I think, uh, earlier in the week at three and a half. I think it's moved to five and a half already. So I'm not sure what uh, precipitated that. A uh, lot of, a lot of, a lot of the smart money, I think, is coming on on Cleveland uh, with this. Uh, I'm worried about this team being able to score points offensively. If this, if, if the defense can't take the ball away two or three times, uh, I don't like the Steelers' chances in this. Uh, I, I obviously have a little bit of time to make my prediction on the podcast, but I'm leaning for the Browns to win this one. But I'm leaning towards the, the Steelers. Always tend to make it close somehow, some way. Uh, so I think the based on this five and a half line right now, I would take Steelers plus the five and a half, and I'd probably take Browns on the money line. So the thing about the Steelers and why you know you you predicted that their expectation for this year was nine and eight. The Steelers with a new quarterback, new GM, it says a lot about the respect everyone has for that franchise, that coach, that team, that even though you guys all have all this turnover, no one thought that you guys were going to come out and go 4-13. and 13. It's just it's not possible with you guys and Mike Tomlin, unfortunately for Browns Nation. Um, I think I'm with you. I think it's going to be something stupid like a 13-10 to 10 Browns. I'm predicting us because we don't have a choice. I mean, if, if, if this doesn't, if we don't win Thursday, there's, I don't want to cross that bridge right now, but, um, Raleigh, you got a prediction? <laughs> oh no. No, it's my predictions <laughs> have just backfired. I'm, I'm sitting out the prediction game. That's fine. All right. Mr. Dave Bryan, sir. Thank you as always for coming on. Check out the website, SteelersDepot.com. Also, the podcast, The Terrible Podcast. Um, again, not just Steelers. They have more information on this website th than most of your team's blogs, our team's. I mean, it's it's very impressive website. Um, thank you again, sir. I look forward to doing this again soon. And let's have a good uh, injury-free Thursday night game, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, anytime you guys need me, uh, just holler. I'll jump on with you guys. We'll have Scott Petrack uh, on. He We usually have him on before uh, every, every Browns game. So he'll be on the podcast or scheduled to be on the podcast uh, with us tomorrow. Tomorrow, and then that'll drop tomorrow afternoon, and we will follow that up with a, another recap podcast on Friday of the game there. So uh, peace and love, guys. Uh, stay safe, and thanks for having me on. Appreciate thank it, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Once again, thank you, Dave, for joining us to help preview Steelers-Browns tomorrow night in Cleveland. Look out for the pregame episode tomorrow. For Raleigh, for myself, thanks for listening to the Dogs of War podcast, and good night, Cleveland. Go again. Ah, 54, 55, 64.
American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20.